Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us worship the Lord our God.
is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Still, and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our Thanks be to you, O God, that we have risen this day to the rising of this life itself. Be the purpose of God between us and each purpose the hand of God between us and each hand, the pain of Christ between us and each pain, the love of Christ between us and each love. O God, who brought us to the bright light of this new day, bring us to the guiding light of eternity. In the blessed name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace to you and peace from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because it is in Christ's name that we are gathered, that means that our word of welcome, by necessity, must have no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, and all are welcome here at the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. We would like to invite everyone, members and guests alike, kindly to sign the friendship pad, even if you're the only person on your pew, and sign it and send it down and back again that we might have the advantage of each other's names. We'd also like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service, which will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right, and down a short ramp. And there you will find our deacons have prepared the time for us to be together with some light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity to engage with one another face-to-face in our common life together. I'd like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin for your particular attention this week. The first is to note that if you have a pet, or even if you have an animal you love that's not your pet, and you would like to participate in a blessing of the animals, just come back here to the sanctuary at 2 o'clock today. And if your pet is one that is anxious about being around other animals, it may be advisable to bring a photographic representation. But otherwise, uh, on leashes or in carriers, your animals are welcome this afternoon for the blessing of the animals here at First Church. When you do go into Old Buttonwood Hall, you will find that the giving tree is already there, and that's so you can take advantage of the sales that may be upcoming. Annie LeCluse was was very uh, clear she wanted us to have that advantage as we look to fill out our giving tree. You'll see information about a new class starting that the Reverend Barbara Chapel will be leading beginning right after Thanksgiving. And you will also see an, an opportunity to gather together for our baby boomers for a Christmas party not too far off into the future. And you will see an update on our annual giving. And I remind you, if you have not pledged and you would like our pledge packet, we're happy to make sure you get one. Just contact the church office. Or if you are ready to pledge and you just don't have your pledge card, they're all over the place. There's one in the narthex, there's some back here, just grab one, and when you're looking at it, you'll see a QR code on it, and that will shortcut you straight to giving online if you'd like. 
store pledging online. So please do consider pledging to First Church if you haven't yet done that. Uh, finally today, as the last of our tours celebrating the 150th anniversary of the building, you may gather back here in the sanctuary for a tour of the stained glass by Michael Smith, a fascinating, uh, fascinating stained glass we have at this church, and, and you can learn more about it this afternoon immediately after worship. I think that covers it, so if there's anything I've missed, you'll find it on your bulletin, and otherwise, let us now continue our worship with our confession of sin. We gather in God's name. We claim Christ's promised presence. My brothers and sisters, not out of dread or fear, but believing that God is faithful to forgive, let us rid ourselves of what we need to carry no longer. Let us offer our confession together. O Holy Lord, our God and King, we confess that we have not lived up to your grace. We have been the recipients, but have not shared. We have been forgiven, but nursed grudges. We have been loved, but harbor enmity. It is as though we have forgotten that you alone can reign in our hearts. And so we entertain lesser alternatives. Forgive our sin, O Lord, and remind us of your promises. In so doing, transform our hearts by your grace, that you may lead us in the way you would have us to go. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is the astounding good news that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Believe the promise of the gospel.
The first lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, reading from the first chapter. Listen for God's word to you. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us, that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The second lesson comes from the letter to the Colossians, again reading from the first chapter. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Amen. Our final lesson is taken from the book of First Samuel, the eighth chapter, beginning at the fourth verse and continuing through the 22nd. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. 
Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern over us like the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. <clears throat> now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all of the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And on that day you will cry out, because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go about before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then said to the Israelites, each of you return home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may recall that in the late 90s, there was a popular trend in American Christianity founded on the question, what would Jesus do? It's not a bad question at all, to be honest, but it did come accompanied in the end with a lot of merchandise, which, of course, folks in the church found a little off-putting with everything Jesus said about money changers and temples. And since the ubiquitous bracelets emblazoned with WWJD were hard to escape, the youth ministers with whom I was serving at the time began to ask the question, is WWJD the question we ought to be asking? When it came my turn to speak to it, I talked with them about the premise in Presbyterianism that everything in life falls under the providence of God. And when you want to know what the Presbyterian contribution to the theological landscape of the church is, just remember, it's God's providence. The idea that nothing ever takes place outside of the watchful care of God. That is a foundational premise of Reformed Christianity. John Calvin wrote, when the light of divine providence has once shone upon a godly man, he is then relieved and set free, not only from extreme anxiety and the fear that were pressing him before, but from every care. Thus indeed the psalm sings, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. Under his wings he will protect you and in his pinions you will have assurance. His truth will be your shield. So we spoke for a few minutes more about divine providence and what it means in our lives and the questions we might ask. And then I was surprised a few weeks later when a box of hard plastic frogs was delivered to the office of the youth ministers. They gave a frog to me. It was a little stylized, like it had been formed out of a compression mold, and there was a little tab sticking out the back of it. What is this? I asked. It's a frog, the youth minister replied, wherein she pressed the tab on the back of the frog, and it leapt across my desk. I, I see that, but why are you giving me a frog? And she replied, we've been thinking of a way to provide a counterbalance to the what-would-Jesus-do merchandise that our kids are seeing, something with a Presbyterian flavor. And you came up with a frog. Yes, she said, to remind them of the acronym F-R-O-G, Fully Rely on God. Aside from teaching an entire generation of young people to split impenitives, those youth ministers nailed it. Fully relying on God is as good a distillation of the call of the gospel as I can think of. 
The invitation to live fully relying on God is the message that is laced throughout the Old Testament, binding the stories together. When the plague descended on Egypt while Moses sought to lead the Israelites out of slavery to the freedom of the promised land, while those plagues riddled the Egyptians, the Israelites sat coolly by, waiting to see the hand of God in their deliverance. But no sooner do they cross the Red Sea than quickly the Israelites prove no more constant in their affections for the Almighty than anyone else. Frequently, they carp and grouse at Moses for his failure to lead them in exactly the way they want to be led. Of course, one does have to wonder if, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, whether the Israelites might have had a point. But throughout all this time, wandering in the wilderness, God was doing something. God was up to something. God was creating a people with a common story, a story marked out by reliance on God. If you want to know what it is to be God's people, look at what God has always asked for from God's people. God has always asked God's people to trust. And God's people have reliably failed in various ages and various ways to live fully relying on God. As we work our way through the stories of the Old Testament, I know sometimes they can seem a bit disparate and perhaps out of order, and that's because the Bible is organized in such a way that we put books together. Uh, each author has their own book or books. But if we were to take out the chapter and verse markers and even the book divisions and reorganize our Bible as a story, a clear plot emerges. God calls one family, one man and one woman, Abraham and Ruth, and Sarah, excuse me, Abraham and Sarah to make their family into the people of God. And God promises to be God for them. But they have to live fully relying on God. Time passes. They become numerous as a people. The people fall into hard times and they call out to God. That's the Exodus story. And then God, after saving them, gives them the Ten Commandments and a whole lot more. And if you distill those 613 commandments down, they instruct the Israelites on how to live fully relying on God. The story keeps going then. And soon enough, the Israelites are living once more in the promised land. And the neighboring countries start to look very threatening. So they get scared. And that's when they ask, God for a king instead of fully relying on the God who has been their king. Which brings us to the story we read today. The Israelites demanding a king was not the way this story was supposed to go. Walter Brueggemann reflects on this passage from its inception at Sinai. <clears throat> it was understood that Israel was chosen by Yahweh and that this chosen community of covenant was not to be like the other nations. 
Rather, Israel was to order its life in the odd and demanding ways of Torah and to rely on the inexplicable love and remarkable promises of Yahweh. But the people make mistakes, and God redeems. That's what God does, but it doesn't mean God is always happy about it. Indeed, Brueggemann, Brueggemann adds, Yahweh adds a line that prepares the way for Samuel's extended speech. Warn them. Let them know the cost of their decision. They are so naive. To those who request a king, the request seems so innocent. There is indignation and pathos in the voice of Yahweh, who knows better, but who is exhausted with this people which insists on its own way. They will be allowed their king, but first they will hear from Samuel about the ways of the king, and they will not be able to complain later that they had not been forewarned about the costs of kingship. Now, I don't have children. But I have heard from more than one exhausted parent that there frequently comes a moment when it is just easier to let them make their mistakes and then help pick up the pieces and clean up afterwards. And indeed, in some ways, that's the best way to learn. And that is essentially the rest of the story of the Bible. Israel has one brief shining moment of kingship. And the rest of it is an exercise in what not to do. But throughout it all, God remains faithful. But just like the Israelites, we should never confuse God's faithfulness with indulgence. God chastens the people when, they, when their need to follow their own way comes at the expense of others. Throughout the unfolding of the Old Testament, God is not on the side of those who can help themselves, but those who can't help themselves. And God's particular ire, if you read the minor prophets, seems to be reserved for those who think that what God wants from us and for us is endless prosperity and success. God gets really steamed at those who define faith thusly. Because what God wants is trust. God wants the people to trust God to create a loving community, a community of mutuality and faith. But they don't. The people make mistakes. And through it all, God keeps on redeeming. Now, it would be easy to take a wrong turn here and suggest that if only folks would follow God's way, their lives will go so much more smoothly. Uh, that may be true some of the time. It may also not be true some of the time. Following God, we all know, doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen in your life again. Following where God leads, fooling, relying on God as we do so, might in fact actually lead us to some places that are profoundly uncomfortable and where much is asked of us. So to turn the, the Bible into a morality play of what happens when we fail to live fully relying on God is, is frankly theologically wrong because there's something else going on. What's really going on is that a grand epic of redemption is being set up in this story. God's great 
redemption story takes an unexpected twist when God decides that it is time once and for all to redefine kingship. And how does God redefine what it is to be a king, what it is to reign over creation? Unlike the ways God warned the Israelites that a king would abuse them and use them, God defines kingship in a different way, in self-giving love, in Jesus Christ giving his life for the life of God's people. One of the problems that those youth ministers identified is that it is not always possible for us to do what Jesus did. Indeed, they, they concluded that the question WWJD had a certain amount of presumptuousness, as though we can do what God does. They concluded that we don't need to do what God does. Instead, we need to follow where Jesus leads. Now, I know there's a great deal of rhetoric about taking up our crosses daily, and it's true, the gospel does say that. The gospel does compel us to take the harder path some of the time. But the difference is that in taking up our crosses, taking the harder path some of the time, God doesn't require us to get nailed to that cross. Instead, God asks us to follow the one who was. And that is how. God redefines kingship. The throne that God chooses is the cross of Jesus Christ. And where God wishes to reign is in the lives and indeed in the hearts of Christ's followers. Which may prompt us to ask just different questions of ourselves, perhaps better questions of ourselves. It might be a, a better question to ask what, or, or perhaps more accurately, who are we following? I have no expectation that any of us are laboring under the impression we need a king, not in society, certainly not in church. But I do wonder what shiny objects we might be inclined to chase. Because that's really what the quest for a king boils down to chasing a shiny object in the vain hope that by catching it, it will make everything else fall into place. That's the trap God's people kept falling into with the worship of idols instead of fully relying on God. I love an old story that Fred Craddock used to tell. I've heard it several different ways, but it always ends the same way. He was visiting the home of some folks who had adopted a greyhound. He saw the big old dog lying in the corner of the room, toddlers pulling his ears and tail, and so he went over to talk to him. Are you racing any? Oh, no, I gave all that up. Did you get tired of running? No, no, I still love to run. I just don't race anymore. 
Well, Craddock asked, what's the matter? Weren't you good at it? And the old dog said, no, I was good. I was the best. I won over a million dollars for my owner. So what happened then? Were you injured? No, the dog said. I quit. You quit? I quit. Why did you quit? The dog looked him in the eye and said, that thing I was chasing, I found out it wasn't really a rabbit. All that running and running, running, and it wasn't even real. The Israelites wanted a king, and I guess they thought chasing after a king would give them some security. Or maybe they thought it would give them more prestige. Or maybe it is as simple as what they said. They just wanted what everybody else had. But it didn't really pan out that way, did it? And I don't know if in your life you've experienced any disappointment or a challenge you couldn't quite meet or maybe just something you worked really, really hard for didn't come out the way you expected. Maybe not bad, but just not what you expected. That certainly happened to me in my life. Frankly, all of these possibilities are just about guaranteed to happen again and again life rolls along and there are a lot of uncertainties and twists and turns. So if we want certainty, that's a rabbit we can chase for a long time because it's fleeting. But if we want something we can rely on or perhaps someone we can rely on, well, you can fully rely on God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
our worship, but we worship in a community of faith that spans generations and nations. As you say what you believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed, remember that many others stand and speak with you. Let us say what the Church believes. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We believe that God hopes and works for a world where all shall be included in the feast of life, and that in Christ we see how costly it is to bring that world about. So let us bring offerings that are costly to us, that all may be included in the riches of the realm of God. You may bring your offerings to the place at the front of the chancel, or you may give online.
seated. Let us pray together. Loving God, we offer today our gratitude for all your blessings and gifts as we pause this week to celebrate our National Day of Thanksgiving. May we share our bounty with those neighbors who have little. Creator Spirit, wellspring of our lives, as the refreshing rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, refresh us with your mercy, who knows our own injustice. As the stream flows steadily on, defying all the odds of stone and water, flow over every boundary and border that separates us from each other. Renew us in newness of life and hold us in the power and peace of your abiding presence. Loving God, we pray for the church throughout the world and for this congregation. May our witness be the love and justice of Christ and our unity a light for our city and for the world. We pray for the broken and torn fabric of the earth. Loving God, hold this precious orb in your hands. Heal its brokenness, that it might thrive as on the day you created the sun, moon, and stars, the waters and air and land teeming with life. Give this earth your deep peace, as on the day that you first called it good. Loving God, we hold in your healing presence the suffering people of our world and the places where people are experiencing injustice, war, hatred, violence, that they may know the deep peace of Christ. We hold in your presence today, especially those who suffer in the nation of Ukraine, those who have lost their homes, their families, those who have lost hope and live in constant fear. Be near to them. We pray today for our city, Heal the rifts in fear caused by violence and racism in our streets and schools. Take away the violence and death wrought by guns. Turn our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. Protect all of our city children and give them lives of safety, hope, and joy. We remember especially this morning those who have been killed in Colorado Springs just last evening. Be with that community, be close to the families who have lost those they love. Be especially close to the gay community in our nation as they surely fear 
the violence wrought against them. And may we surround them with our love. We pray today for our country, especially after our recent election. Give wisdom to those who govern us, to our president and our Congress, our state governments and our courts. Keep safe those who protect us from danger and form us as a nation where justice flows like life-giving water. Loving God, we hold in your healing presence those who suffer pain and ill health today. And we hold their families and friends and those who care for them in your light. May they know the deep peace of Christ. God, our foundation, we hold before you all who are suffering bereavement and loss, and we pray for those who have died. May they know the embracing arms of Christ. In the quiet and beauty of this sanctuary, we pray for those we name silently in our hearts and minds. Come close to them. Breathe your Holy Spirit upon them. And now, O oh God, may we preserve with each other sincere charity and peace. And if it be your holy will, grant that this place and this community of faith continue to be a sanctuary and a light through Jesus Christ, who lives with you and the Holy Spirit, and who taught us to pray together in the words of his prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
the middle drawer of my desk, I don't know if your desk is like this, but the deeper recesses of it are essentially a black hole where things go to, I don't know, uh, dark matter, those sorts of things. But I was reaching back in the recesses of this drawer for a USB cable, and I found that frog. It's missing a leg, it can't jump anymore, and so I went online to see if I could find some, and come, turns out you absolutely can find plastic compressed frogs. I toyed briefly with buying them for you all, then I decided the world didn't really need that much more plastic, and I decided that we don't need a frog, because we have one another which is what God was doing in Israel in the first place, and what we do even now when we gather and sing and pray our prayers and hear God's word. We remind one another fully to rely on God. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.